Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the South End Zone. I am your host, Jason Bailey. I'm with Eric Mulher, as per the usual. And Eric, this week we're brought to you by nobody, man. No, independent. Uh, I, <laughs> I think I think rappers 20 years ago called this gorilla. Um, <laughs> so we're we're on our own. No no feel, ads, no nothing. Just no nothing, straight from man. straight from us to you guys. I know, man. I feel like Jamal Adams that day walked up to the Jets facility and it's locked, and he's like, "Did they cut me?" Yeah, they they did. And that, yeah, that's kind of how it felt. Wait, we're, we're, we're what? We're in the portal? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, we're in the transfer portal. So, uh, yeah, for all the listeners, if you didn't catch it on our Twitter account, uh, the Pigskin Podcast Network, for lack of a better word, went uh, belly up. So we decided we would just uh, hit the transfer portal. And we actually, funnily enough, we're going to join Belly Up Sports and their network and be part of their podcast network. It's going to be a pretty seamless transition and uh, we'll be part of it probably later on this week. We're recording this on Monday the 3rd. So, all right. So Eric, we've got a special guest with us today. His name is Brian Driscoll. He runs irishbreakdown.com. Now, Brian, real quick, before we get into the show, tell all our listeners where they can find you, your show on the socials and on the interwebs. Well, obviously at YouTube, you can find us on our YouTube channel is Irish Breakdown. And we also have a a college football nation, college football channel that we just launched recently that's uh, in its infancy stage is called CFB Nation. We're going to hopefully grow. You and I talked a little bit about that. going to mm-hmm. continue to grow that. And then, of course, if you'd like to get the podcast uh basically the podcast platform you can just go to uh, irish breakdown on uh, apple apple spotify we're on all of it so we're, we're, we're through blue wire right now and then of course our website you can find our website we try to keep it easy and consistent right irishbreakdown.com so we'll try to make it a, a, as easy as possible if you just remember irish breakdown then you'll be able to find our content all right man well i'm gonna, i gotta tell you we're talking about notre dame i was trying to figure out different ways to open this show and i'm sitting here thinking man a few weeks ago we talked to uh david waters from gators breakdown about florida and one of the words that came up there was wishy-washy and i got to thinking i was like man that's a really good word to describe notre dame season last year because you know they came out and just brief overview of 2022, if you're just a casual listener who doesn't follow Notre Dame, or hopefully you're an avid Notre Dame fan and you're listening, most of us on the outside, we were thoroughly impressed with the first game and the way Notre Dame battled against Ohio State. And they just kind of ran out of gas and got out-athleted there at the end. You know, 
And we were thinking, man, they're going to be like really good this year. And then they came out and laid a colossal egg. We sucked against Marshall. And we're thinking, oh shit, panic time, panic mode. We're 0-2. Everybody's freaking out. And they reel off some ho-hum wins and then lay another colossal egg to Stanford. You kidding me? Us as college football betters, we're pulling our hair out, going nuts. And then they turn around and paste Clemson. To the tune of like, what was it, 34 to 35 or nothing? Yeah, 35. Yeah, it was I mean, 28 it, nothing at one point in time in the fourth quarter. Clemson yeah. put a couple on the board late, yeah. Yeah, total beat yeah. down. And they they drilled Syracuse, too, when Syracuse had like mm-hmm. one loss at that yeah. point. Yeah. When, one was, of their ho-hum wins was over North Carolina. Uh, blowout. I mean, it was 45-32, but it, North Carolina, I think, scored like 21 points in the fourth quarter. It wasn't oh, yeah, it that was competitive. A, yeah, that was a beat down. Um, and so, and, the, and like I say, a couple of those losses are understandable. USC, Ohio State, but a couple of those other ones, you just kind of, it feels like sort of a, like big game hangover there for Marshall coming off Ohio State and then losing to Stanford. That's one, that's a head scratcher, man. I don't know. I don't understand that, how that happened. And I'm sure the rest of the fan base feels the same way. However, surface level, man, I'm looking at this roster and what you guys have coming back and I'm going outside of probably a first round NFL tight end. They really don't have much to replace. And I know I've talked to, about this to Eric until I, he's you know blue in the face, but yeah, we've said the same I thing felt, for years. I know what, exactly what you're going to say. Yep. I have always felt like Notre Dame is a team that is an elite quarterback away from being like a national championship caliber football team. And now I'm looking a year removed from going, damn, who's going to take the snaps? Like none of these guys are good to they're really good fucking shape. And Sam Hartman, they have the dude now. So what's the sentiment in uh, South Bend, man? Is it as optimistic as my sort of rose colored glasses have it painted? Because I'm pretty optimistic based on what I'm seeing. I think from a talent standpoint, honestly, you know, it's it's what's been weird about this offseason with Notre Dame fans is I feel like there's almost sort of a I don't want to get too excited because I don't want to get let down again type of feeling, you know, where it's like, for example, today is to give you a perfect example. I, I put a thing on Twitter and, and and I've got a very love hate relationship with recruiting rankings, but I put something on Twitter that the last two years, if you look at the on three blue chip ratio, right, which is basically the number of four and five stars that you signed per your class. There's only been three teams that have signed that have ranked in the top five in blue chip ratio the last two years. And it's Alabama you expect Ohio State, you'd expect. And the third is not Georgia, it's Notre Dame. And the last two years, if you look at that number, I think Notre Dame has signed 37, four and five stars, mostly four, and four, eight, three stars. Well, if you go back and look at Brian Kelly's tenure, it's like 14 to 13, 10 to eight. And, you know, but then it's like the first response is, well, now they've got to go win some games. And I'm like, you know, can't you just enjoy just like this little nugget without turning it in, you know, t- talking yourself off, you know, down a little bit? I just think that's where a lot of them are. And a lot of them want to, get excited about it. But I I think, look, it's when you go 30 plus years without a championship and you think you have that team and whether it's your quarterback can't compete with the other top teams or you have a defensive coordinator that keeps your team down. I think, I think people are just a little bit to the point where they don't want to get too excited about it, but there's also a lot of optimism about the talent coming back. As you mentioned, you know, Isaiah Foskey is another guy that I would say is, is going to be tough to replace a defensive end, you know, but when you talk about losing Michael Mayer, it's, it's going to be a, a, a blow, but, like if you're going to lose a position at Notre Dame and feel good about being able to replace it to some degree, it's tight end. You know what yes. I mean? And tight end and guard. What, exactly. Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, it's been tight end and left tackle. 
is really what it's been for Notre Dame. Because if you go back and start with Zach Martin, the left tackles at Notre Dame, and obviously now you've got Joe Walt, who's probably going to be a top 10 pick next year. Zach Martin was number 16 overall pick. He was replaced by Ronnie Stanley, who was the number six overall pick. He was replaced by Mike McGlinchey, who was the number nine overall pick. He was uh, replaced by Lee Meikenberg, who fell all the way down into the 40s. You know, got, heaven forbid he's a second round pick. And now you've got Joe Walt, who's a, you know, is a true sophomore's first team All-American. So tight end and left tackle is just kind of those positions where you're like, I feel like they're going to be all right. <laughs> those positions but when well, there's a lot of talent coming back but the thing is a lot of those positions yes it's talent you've got potential and all this but I think the concern for not the concern but the thing with Notre Dame fans right now and I think this is a fair thing to a fair view to have is we're using the word potential a lot and you don't win off potential you win off production and a lot of this potential is unrealized and I think there's this thought of well we thought that this guy was going to step up last year and he didn't I thought this guy was going to step up so I think there's just a lot of cautious optimism I think is the way that I would say the the Notre Dame faithful is right now all right so in terms of next year and you talk about that that potential and the cautious optimism and like Jason said we and I felt the same way as him where they always feel like they're a quarterback away yeah and it feels like they've got the guy in Sam Hartman but from everything I've read, you know, to include a lot of your stuff in regards to spring practice, it sounds like they're they're still sharing reps and maybe haven't, you know. So I guess is that a product of him still learning a new offense, or is it you know, is that, is it truly an open competition for the starting quarterback position, or are they just trying to keep the other kid around when that transfer portal opens? It is, but it isn't right. And 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 I'll, I'm not going to give you a lazy answer and just leave it there. I'll, I'll explain. The, the thing is, Tyler Buckner is not a guy that a lot of people knew last year right and obviously he didn't look great his he actually played okay against ohio state started like eight of nine uh, and then obviously the offensive line kind of let him down in the second half but he's a kid that's got a ton of talent i think you saw it in the bowl game right like how, how can you throw two pick sixes and still lead your team to a victory because you made you scored five touchdowns right you counted for five touchdowns and over 300 about 330 yards of offense and so he, he's a very talented kid, and, and he's had a great spring so far. So I, I think it's one of those things where you want Sam Hartman as a coach. You want Sam Hartman to earn the starting job. And so it's an open competition in that Sam's got to come win the job. It's not really an open competition from the standpoint of I don't think there's anyone that actually doesn't think Sam's going to win the job. Because if you're talking about a quarterback, he's got to win the locker room. When you're talking about a guy that's come in from the outside, these kids have bled and sweat and worked with Tyler now going into his third season. And then some outsider comes in and you just hand him the job. What does that really say about your program where you're constantly talking about competition, 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 which is one of the mantras of Coach Freeman? And you just hand Sam, hand Sam Hartman a job when Tyler Buckner's coming off of a the kind of bold performance that he had with eight starter starting starters on offense in that game being true sophomores, and you still went out and did what you did, which leads to the excitement part that you talked about earlier. So it is a competition in that if Sam doesn't play well and Tyler does, Tyler can end up being the starting quarterback, but I don't think it's an open competition in that if Sam does what we all know he can do, he's going to be the starting quarterback. I think I think everybody kind of understands that, but he needs to earn it, right? And that's how he ingratiates himself into his teammates and becomes the leader that you're going to need him to be, you know, if you're going to have a chance to beat the Ohio States and beat the teams that are that you need to do to try, finally compete for a championship. Yeah, it just kind of threw me off because you get a guy with Sam Hartman's track record. I mean, the last two years, he's just under 8,000 yards and 70-something touchdowns. He's even ran for 10 or 12 scores. He didn't go to Notre Dame to be the second sure. stringer. Exactly. And if, exactly. You're, if your holdup is him learning the offense, you know, one train of thought is, well, I want to get that guy as many reps as possible yeah. so he can learn the offense. But then I'm also kind of like, well, what's this other guy going to do if it's too obvious that I'm expecting he right. 
Sam Hartman to be the starter. Well, I think Sam's getting most of the one reps from what I've been told on Intel. Now, keep in mind, we haven't had a lot of access to practice. We've had access to three of their six practices, and two of them, we just see the first five periods, which is basically we get to watch individual. We've seen one day of team, and that was a Saturday. And that was a, you know, they had a, like a, it was kind of a blitz nickel package day, dime package day for the defense. So, like a lot of pressure. And Tyler had some work with the one. Sam had some work with the ones. According to my intel, the people that I've talked to, I mean, Sam's getting more of the first team reps, but I don't think first team reps in March and April are a huge thing for me, to be honest with you, especially for a six, uh, a six year guy like Sam Hartman. You know, I think number one and number two is you need to make sure that that other kid is still bought in. And I think it goes back to, again, if you're going to talk to your players about competition, 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 but you don't give this other kid any opportunity, then it's not a real competition. I think the other part of it too is as a former coach, and I actually actually played quarterback and I've coached quarterbacks, sometimes I want to see what that guy does with the number twos when they don't protect as well, or maybe the receivers aren't quite as good. How do you handle that? You know, when when a couple balls get dropped, you start ripping on your teammates as you put your head down, or do you show some leadership and say, hey, we got this, let's settle down? I think those are all parts of the evolution of a football team, but also the evolution of a quarterback. And, and as I said, it's very important that the coaches put Sam in position to where he has to compete to earn the respect of his teammates. That's how you're going to get the Notre Dame players to play as hard for him as the Wake Forest kids did. And I think that's part of that process. Now, if we're having the same conversation in August, guys, then then I'm going to be a little concerned. But <laughs> they just had their sixth of 15, pra- 14 practices today. They're not even halfway through spring ball yet. So yeah. uh, I think they've it's a been, smart they've way been to play in, it. They've been inside for the whole spring, right? Because the mm-hmm. weather's been pretty yeah. terrible up there. So. <laughs> well, we, we'd get a couple of nice days. And, you know, then, of course, it's time for them to have practice and it's, you know, cold again. So, but it's a very nice indoor facility now. So I think that's just taking advantage of, of yeah. the field. It used to be you, you hated being indoors because it was just like this all purpose facility that like Lou Holtz's teams practice in when it rained back in the eighties, you know, uh, oh, but it's goodness. a, it's a really sweet deal now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so gosh. do you think they'll have a starter identified when they open fall camp or through, you think the competition will run through at least part of that publicly? Yes. Publicly. No, but again, it's public. Like last year they didn't have the, when you went into the fall and it was a quote unquote open competition between Tyler Buckner, Drew Pine, everybody in, in the r- locker room knew who the starting quarterback was going to be. Because Tyler had been that guy. And I think that's what you'll see again here is just, hey, look, you know, Tyler, you're going to get that opportunity. But like within a week, they had named Tyler Buckner the starter. I, I, I'll see. I think it's something like that, too. Is, here's my thing, guys. I don't really care what they say to us. And I don't care what they say publicly. As long as as they're being upfront and communicating with the players involved in the competition and the team, that's what truly matters. I mean, they can. And for, I mean, looking at it from a media standpoint, it's good if they don't name them too soon, because then we have something to write about this summer. You know, I say somewhat sarcastically, but as long as the players understand where things stand and they're comfortable with it, then then I think that's where you need to go. Because it's look, March is about fundamentals and all that. But at the same time, the biggest thing to come out of March is you're really building your team's identity, your culture of a program. And when you're going to say one thing and then your actions to coach are completely different, like, hey, it's competition, competition, competition. But we're not going to actually be real. These kids aren't dumb. They're at University of Notre Dame, right? They didn't get here because they they don't have any common sense and can't read a room, right? I, I think you have to carry it out, and I think that's what the staff is really working on right now. It's about building your culture as much as it's about installing your offense and your defense and all those kind of things. That, that'll come the summer and in the fall camp. Right now you say, who is this team going to be? What's the culture? What's the identity of this team going to be? And, and I think that's what they're building right now. 
Right. Well, speaking well, of saying one thing and doing another, I wanted to get your take because I didn't go I didn't go far back enough. I listened to a few of your shows and I didn't go far back enough to get your take on this. And I wanted to touch on it for just a moment. We know and this is uh, Eric, this is going to kind of lead into one of your questions so you can pick it up when he's done answering this portion of it. But we know that Notre Dame flirted with Andy Ludwig from Utah and the big sticking point and I'm using air quotations mm-hmm. for our listeners, a big sticking point was apparently Andy Ludwig's buyout. And I actually, we've got a, a pretty avid Notre Dame listener who likes to send us emails and uh, he's goes unnamed. He's just called that damn guy. So if you've got a dude that writes into your show called that damn guy, we've I, got the yeah. same guy. Okay. Yeah. Then we've got, Th- does the same not, guy. does not sound familiar to me. <laughs> okay. Well, he, uh, he emailed me and basically asked me, do you think Notre Dame is going to pony up and start keeping up with the Joneses on NIL? I don't care about NIL, but when I hear things like the buyout was a sticking point, it kind of makes me wonder how invested they are. And what, like, what is the inside take, I guess, from a Notre Dame writer and, you know, beat writer and podcaster on, you know, the flirtation with Andy Ludwig and how they sort of settled on the offensive staff that they have now? Well, there's a there's a two two part look point to this. And I think that the best way to understand it is to separate the the current from that process, because I think mm-hmm. sometimes when you can focus on the process, then you assume that the guy that they hired is some sort of, hey, they settled or, or a guy that's not mm-hmm. ready for the job. But being specific to the Andy Ludwig thing, it's a simple guys. They dropped the ball. Y'all took a week off. I just wasn't important. And it's basically how this <sighs> went. And, and Notre Dame's Notre Dame's playing this this uh, CYA thing publicly, right? Like, no, no, no. You know, we 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 were willing to pay the buyout. Well, well, you didn't. I mean, I I know this on really really good confidence, and and my sources are very very close to the situation. Is they didn't offer to pay the buyout till the day after it got leaked that it wasn't going to happen because of the buyout. Well, okay, if the deal's already not being done and you say, well, we offered, you're, you're not, you're being truthful, but you're Ish. being deceptive with, with yeah. it, right? And so essentially, they thought the buyout was one number and it actually became another number because you don't bring a guy in and take him to the hockey game and let everybody see him if you're not sure that you can, that you're willing to pay the buyout or if you haven't already begun the process of negotiating, getting that buyout down. So, I just think the process was bungled, to be completely honest with you. Notre Dame went out and did their safe face. Well, we we never technically offered them the job, which, you know, the way Notre Dame does it is they don't formally offer you the job until you're willing to accept it. So then they go back and say, well, we didn't actually offer him the job. We only offered one guy the job. You know, like Jack Swarbrick did that when Brian Kelly was hired. You know, we only offered one guy the job. Well, technically, but you, you told Kirk Ferentz and Bob Stoops if they wanted it, they could have it. You know, so you can play this word game with us, but we're not idiots, right? You know, we, we kind of know how this process works. And so that's essentially what happened. Once that went down, I wrote an article basically saying what Marcus Freeman needs to do right now is promote Jared Parker. Because mm-hmm. Jared Parker was brought to Notre Dame. He's someone who's worked with Marcus Freeman in the past. There's a lot of faith there. There's a lot of confidence there. Marcus Freeman's not getting support from the administration that he needs to get, in my opinion. He's just not. And he hasn't built up the you know, the cachet that Brian Kelly had where he could kind of put their feet to the fire 
and try to get some things during his tenure. And I have a whole different you know view on Brian Kelly on things. So you know, that's another story for the, later in the show or another show or something. But well, the point it, is you can feel fr- you can feel yeah. free to stop by tomorrow. We're recording an LSU episode <laughs> with the uh, Preston oh. guy. So if you want to stop by and just bash <laughs> Brian Kelly, uh, we are hard here pass. I, I went on Preston's show and had a little fun conversation with him. He wanted to debate me about it, which was hilarious, <laughs> by the way, uh, how LSU fans say it wasn't a dumpster fire that Brian Kelly inherited. But then whenever they want to justify the four losses, they want to say, well, he only had 30 scholarship. Guys. Well, so you're saying he walked into a dumpster fire, right? Isn't that exactly what I said? So whatever. <laughs> different conversation for a different day. So what my point was, Marcus Freeman is to surround himself with people in the football office that are his guys that he believes in, that he knows are going to do things the way that he wants them. And I thought Jared Parker was the best guy to do that. I also you know, feel Jared Parker's a very sharp guy, very good coach. I think he's he's uh, did a great job of the tight ends last year. You know, obviously, you have a talent like Michael Mayer, but if you go watch Michael Mayer technically from the first three games of the year and then watch him technically, fundamentally, how he plays the game the last three, you're talking about a kid who, who already set Notre Dame's single-season tight end catch and receptions record as a sophomore the year before, then comes out and plays the way he did in, in 2022, it says a lot about a coach that you can get in and say, hey, you're not good enough. you know. And, and I think – so we saw a lot from him. So I have a lot of confidence in Jared Parker to get the job done. I'm projecting a bit because we haven't seen him do it. But I think I want I like to separate those two conversations. I love Andy Ludwig. That would have been a home run hire. And I hate the way that it went down and the way that Notre Dame dropped the ball in the process. But it's kind of like when USC – had to settle, I'm using air quotes for those who can't watch me, on Pete Carroll, who was like their fourth or fifth option. Sometimes the settling option ends up being a pretty darn good hire. Yeah. And I think Jared Parker's got a chance to be that guy. So, And I think that's been an issue for Notre Dame fans, guys, is they have a hard time separating the end result from the process. And the process was flawed. It was. There's no question about it. But I think at the end of the day, they ended up with a pretty good staff. In my opinion, you know, and so uh, if you can separate the process from the end result, be, hey, I'm going to criticize the process because you made yourselves look foolish here. But then still look at the, the the staff and say, you know, Coach Freeman did a pretty good job bouncing back from these bungled situations that aren't in his control. He doesn't negotiate the contracts. That's on the administration part. So he put together pretty darn good coaching staff. And I think that's where some of the, the optimism comes from, along with the talent that's coming back. Okay. And so my, my last bit of that, since you mentioned Jared Parker, I mean, what on like, just, you don't have to go into super deep detail here, but as far as scheme wise difference from Tommy Reese, do you expect it to be a whole lot different given that they're bringing back a lot of the same personnel skill position wise outside of Michael Mayer? You'll see some changes because you always will, right? Like, so if if, mm-hmm. a, if one guy leaves and another guy replaces him and says, hey, we're going to use the same playbook, it's still going to look a little different because, hey, you, you know, we have the same playbook, but but I really like inside zone more than duo. So sure. even though both of them are in our offense, I may focus on inside zone more where you are more of a duo guy or, you know, hey, we, we've had smash in our in our package as a pass concept. But, you know, we'd use it on third down here, but I really like it as a boundary concept. So we may run it a lot more. Same concept, just different emphasis when you have a different coach. Some coaches like certain things and, and others. And so we'll see some wrinkles and we'll see some difference in emphasis, but it's for the most part going to be the same offense. And I think that was an important thing for Coach Freeman was, we do have a lot coming back. I don't want these kids to have to learn have to learn a brand new offense, brand new terminology. We're going to add some of the wrinkles that you like, 
but it's going to be within the framework of what we're already doing. And, mm-hmm. and I think that was something that was important for Coach Freeman. And it's why it's important that, you know, or why it's helpful to bring in a guy that, you know, like Jared Parker, who is was already there. He already knows what these kids know. He already knows what the expect. He already knows how they go about their business. And that can be good and bad. It's meaning I know the things that worked for us last year, but I also have an idea on some of the things that maybe didn't work for us last year that we can get better on where when you look at a year ago, Al Golden's learning these players. He's got to learn their names, much less knowing what guys do well or don't do well. You're still learning who is who. And I think keeping that continuity as much as you could from a leadership standpoint was something that Marcus Freeman put a very big premium on this season. Speaking of continuity, and you've talked um, about competition, competition, competition through spring practice. What uh, what are we looking at as far as any sort of position battles in spring? There's, I mean, there's not a ton of open spots, but one thing that did catch my eye, and I don't know if this is out of like a depth issue or out of necessity, but sounds like they got a running back. They're maybe trying to shift to receiver, uh, the Tyree kid. So is yes. that an issue of, hey, we don't like what we've got here, or is it just we want to get this kid on the field and get the ball in his hands, but he's not our best running back it, it's it's about abundance on at running back mm-hmm. combined with the fact that you have you really like your receiving core, but you have more of the six one to six four vertical guys. You don't have anyone you can just throw a now screen to or a bubble to and say if he gets a crease, he's gone. You know, you're talking about a kid in Chris Tyree who's a legitimate four three athlete. Uh, and I know we throw the oh everyone's a four three until they get to the combine and you realize wow we heard this guy was fast and he's not really that fast. This is no, a he's, kid a, he's a, a track so- guy, right? Like yeah, a- as a sophomore and junior, he had the fastest fifty five meter dash time in the country uh, for his age group, and then he twice in a row won the fastest man competition at the opening. So I mean, he's got legit home run speed. You go back to his freshman year, he had a ninety plus yard touchdown running at Syracuse. His sophomore year, he has a ninety plus yard kick return against Wisconsin that completely changed the. The the, uh, the the makeup of that game, Wisconsin had just taken a had just tied the game in the fourth quarter. Actually, they had just I think taken the lead 13-10 early in the fourth quarter. Tyree takes the next kickoff back for uh, a, a touchdown, and he's just got that home run speed. But he he's in a backfield where he's not an every down back. And he's five nine one ninety. He's just he's not that kind of guy that you want taking twenty carries between the tackles in a game. He's a kid that last year when they did use him in sort of a dual threat way. It was effective. I mean, I, I've said to people, if you want to know the impact that Chris Tyree can have on an offense, watch the Cal first or second half. Watch the North Carolina game. Watch the Clemson game. And even watch the South Carolina game where Chris Tyree wasn't getting the ball a lot, but they were using him on motions. If you go back and look at the long touchdown pass to Braden Lindsay, for example, they sent Chris Tyree on a jet motion, and it caused South Carolina to roll their defense down to him. They just ran a post behind it for a touchdown. You know, he, he has that kind of impact because when he's on the field, you got to say, this guy can score from anywhere. And so I think it's about wanting to get him on the field more. You're loaded at running back. So they've got Tyree practicing receiver. Logan Diggs was out with an undisclosed injury. Jadarian Price is still out with an injury he suffered last year. And their stud freshman, Jeremiah Love, doesn't show up until the fall. So they're down to Audric Estime and a kid named Jabron Payne. Well, so then Jabron Payne gets in the scrimmage on Saturday and he rips off a 50-yard run, and he looks great. I mean, they're just absolutely loaded at running back. He was a four-star kid as well that Dylan McCullough brought with him over from Indiana. And so, look, we can't get all these kids on the field. This kid brings an ability to make plays on the perimeter, which we saw last season. Let's work on trying to get him into a bit more of a dual threat dual threat motion. So, I mean, they, they love the receiving core, but he just brings a little something unique to a lot of the other guys that they that they have on there that don't have. And if you're going to run the kind of offense with RPOs and things where I think we're going to – that's one adjustment we're going to see from Jared Parker is, is, is a little bit more usage of RPOs to protect the run game. I think we'll see more of that this season. You've got to have a guy that scares people. 
Otherwise, just, hey, we'll give you the five-yard hitch route and we'll tackle you. We're just not going to let you run the ball on us. I mean, you know what I mean? So you got to have a guy on the perimeter that scares people a little bit. And Chris Tyree in space is something that says, you may not want to be a second late getting outside to Chris Tyree because he's got that kind of home run speed that if you give him a crease, he's out the gate. And that's he can change a game that way. Yeah. In that case, it's more about a specific skill set. That- yeah. And an abundance at running back where you just, mm-hmm. we got to try to find a way to get all these guys in the field. And you can't give four or five running backs carries in a game because then nobody gets into the flow of the game. You can do two uh, that can be legitimate split reps. And then a third guy that can get some burn, which is what they did last year. Uh, but you're you're not going to take Logan Diggs and Audric Estime off the field. And if people say, well, why not? Um, go watch the bowl game, and you're going to see exactly why you don't bring those two kids off the field. But you have also need to get t- Chris Tyree involved. So how can you do that? Use him all around. He's still your kick returner. And that's how you can get some volume to him without having to then limit your usage of those other two backs who combined for over 1,700 yards last year. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, one guy you didn't mention, didn't they get Caleb Williams? Caleb Smith, excuse me, yes, Caleb Smith from, receiver, yeah. from Virginia Tech. Yeah, I mean, he's not what I would consider a burner, but he, I mean, I think he was like third in the ACC last yeah. year in yards per catch at like mm-hmm. 18 yards per catch. I mean, the dude, he can uh, stretch the field as well. So well, I mean, he's a number two be. right now for them. And right. That says and, a lot about how good Notre Dame is a receiver. You know, I mean, he, yeah. right now he's battling with Deion Colsey and Tobias Merriweather for a starting job. Those are two top 100 kids coming out, right? And you look at Caleb Smith on film, and, and like you said, he he's not a burner, but he 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 runs good routes. He has great body control. I mean, some of the catches he makes, like there's there's a guy draped all over him, but he he's able to go make the play. Well, he he's pushing hard just to try to get on the field right now for Notre Dame. I think as you get deeper in the fall camp, he'll look better. Because I think mm-hmm. for him, he's he's got a lot more of a learning curve, I think, than Sam Hartman did. Sam Hartman's learning some adjustments to it, but he's still in an offense that threw the ball a lot. He knows all that. Caleb Smith went from an offense at Virginia Tech. It was just atrocious, just absolutely awful. And where he's your leading receiver with 600-some yards catching, right, to an offense that's a lot different, a lot more pro style. So I think he's got a bit of a learning curve. He's he's not there right now, but I, I think by the time we get to late August, he's going to be just fine. And, and part of a, what's going to, I believe, to be a very deep, uh, talented group of receivers but again it's a it's part of what we went back to guys where you love the talent there's a lot of former top 100 recruits but there's not a lot of guys that have proven it with any consistency and i think that's what some people are are, are i don't want to get too excited until i see those guys do it which is fair i think yeah what about defensively um through the spring what kind of holes are they looking to fill uh, if any I, I mean i know you talked about you mentioned uh, the Fosky kid but like specifically in the front seven where notre dame is typically good you know who, who's who's looking to move up to a spot in the spring well obviously you mentioned Fosky. they basically lose their boundary side of the defensive line they play sort of a field boundary alignment where their three technique and their viper which is what Fosky played will play into the boundary and then their nose tackle and their their big end or their field end will play obviously to the field side uh, with their rover will be usually field side. So they lost their three technique and their Viper. Jason Adamula has also departed. Uh, what they're going to do is they're going to move Riley Mills inside. He was their starting big end last year at 6'4", 290. They're going to move him inside, let him be more of a penetrating three technique. So I think he's going to have a chance to have a, a bit of a breakout year this year. And then they've got three kids who are really talented battling for that Viper rotation. It'll be more than one guy, but Jordan Patojo, who had two sacks and 10 pressures, according to pro football folks, had 10 pressures in the in the bowl game against South Carolina. Uh, he, he's a former top recruit, which is just a really talented player. He, it's just getting his head on straight and keeping him, keeping him locked in and focused. And then you've got uh, Junior Tui Alamaka, who's a former top 100 recruit, that moved from middle linebacker to Viper. And then there's a kid that they've got that's uh, that, that was a quarterback slash middle linebacker in high school named Josh Burnham, who just a physical freak, and he's 6'4", 
He's, I think, about, up to about 240 now. He's got, uh, I think, was, I mean, his arms are as long as Foskey. He had a 37-inch vertical and a 10-5 broad. It's at testing this year. He's, he's run a 4-6. He's just learning the position. So there's talent there. Viper's not a position I'm, I'm really overly concerned about. It's about can you get more production from the inside and the big end, which last year they just they, – you're right. They've been very good on the defensive line in recent years. Last year, the production up front wasn't as consistent as it needs to be. They, you know, Foskey put up good numbers, for example, 14 tackles for loss, 11 sacks. But if you really break down the film, he, he wasn't better than what he was the year before when he had 11 sacks as well. But he would have the money sacks in 2021, and he'd have the, the big plays on the edge. And last year, it was, it was more of a you – know, he got a sack late in the game, or he, you know, it just wasn't the same kind of consistent impact. And I think that's what they're going to need more of up front is there's a lot of bodies. There's good depth. We've seen Jason Onye break out this year, who's a kid that I, I think could end up being a really good player as part of the rotation. They got a transfer from Ohio State, Javante Jean-Baptiste, who I think is a really good player. He's been a key rotation guy for Ohio State for three years. So there's bodies, guys, but it's the same story that we're talking about with some of these other positions. There's talent. There's, there's potential. But will that potential turn into game day production? That remains to be seen, but that's where I think this year's schedule helps better too. Whereas last year, you didn't have a warm-up game. You didn't have a game where you can work out your kinks. You had Ohio State in the opener and then 10-win Marshall the next game, right? And so this year, it's it's Navy, then it's Tennessee State before you have to get on go on the road and play NC State. And then you've got that NC State game, then you're coming home to play Central Michigan before you've you, the Buckeyes come to town. So I think the schedule sets up a lot better for them to kind of work out some of those kinks before they have to really – you know, before stuff hit, really hits the fan where last year was like the opener, like you better be ready game one. Yeah, it definitely does. I was looking at that uh, before the show and they, I mean, you look at it really, they've only got what I would say one really tough road game this year, which is at Clemson. And I mean, we saw what they did to Clemson last year. We'll see what year two of the Klubnik era looks like, but the schedule does set up much more favorably for them this year. And kudos to Notre Dame and, you know, all of you guys, because you deal with a tough schedule year in and year out, man. Notre Dame is not a team that goes like a Texas A&M or, you know, whoever that schedules a bunch of cupcakes. They do play a really tough schedule year in and year out. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad their schedule sets up better than yeah. last year because it's not any less brutal overall. Yeah. You know, at, at NC State could be a tough game, could not. Depends on the year with those guys. But, <laughs> you know, Ohio State at home, USC at home, Pitt, same as NC State to me. They could be a 10-win team. They could be a five, mm-hmm. who, flip a coin. And then, like Jason said, at Clemson. So there's no there's no absence uh, of of good teams that they're going to play. So I'd throw Duke in there too. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Mike Oko can do. I mean, again, Duke's a game their name should win, right? I'm not saying it's like oh, you know, convincing yourselves that it's a, an acceptable loss. But I loved what Mike Elko did in year one mm-hmm. at Duke. And then they, and my big thing is the 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 recipe to an upset is playing at home, have an offense that can score, and have a quarterback that can make plays. And that's what Riley Leonard is, you know, and like, like Louisville, again, Louisville's a team their name should beat, but you've got Jeff Brom coming in who I'm much higher on than I am Scott Satterfield, to be honest with you as a coach. So join the club. Uh, it, it's, and, and they're <laughs> yeah. overall, you know, and again, this is a, this is a, 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 a I use this loosely because it's not a really fair because teams are different, but the win loss record of the teams they play in 23 is actually better than what it was the, the 23 schedule, mm-hmm. uh, even if you include Tennessee state in there. But uh, you know, but I think it's like you said, it's placed better. So NC state can be a trap game if it's not placed correctly, but it's right in between Tennessee state and central Michigan. So it is the game you're focusing on. You know, the Duke game concerns me because it comes right after Ohio state. So you're either going to be elated because 
because you have this huge upset win over the Buckeyes or you're dejected and your championship hopes are somewhat dashed because you just lost to the Buckeyes at home. And that's the one that makes that a little bit uh, a little bit tough. But after USC and Clemson also, here's the other thing that I like. They have bye weeks after Clemson and after USC. And I think bye weeks are, are overrated from a preparation for the next game standpoint. I think they're great for a recovery from a tough game standpoint. I, I'm someone that believes I would much rather have a bye week after a tough game than before. And for everybody that wants to say, you know, oh, buys are so good, go ask Clemson how that bye week worked out for them last year before they played Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I'm kind of of the same mindset there, Brian, because we, uh, uh, I'm an Alabama fan, and uh, every year Alabama has a bye week before LSU. And mm-hmm. every single year LSU has a bye week before Alabama. So it's a wash. There's no extra, extra preparation, and it's always a super physical game, and people get injured and beat up. And I'm like, shit, why don't we just like have a bye week after that? Because, right. I mean, we're, we got half our team that's banged up afterwards. So we've talked about a number of guys who are angling for starting jobs and some of those uh, potential starters and who they are. And one of the things we do at the end of every season is our awards show. And one of the awards we give out is the Connor McGregor, who the fuck is this guy award. <laughs> and that goes to a player who kind of comes off the map, uh, has a big year, goes from you know fairly anonymous to uh, a you know, makes a name for himself. Uh, for instance, Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee was our, our winner this past season, right? So that type of player. So if I asked you, and we may have already talked about him, I suspect, but um, if I had to ask you who from the 2023 Notre Dame football team uh, would be their best candidate to win our Conor McGregor award next season. Who the fuck is that guy? Is this looking at it from more of a national standpoint, like someone that y'all might be surprised by or yes. like other? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause I think, I think yeah. there's a lot of guys that Notre Dame fans sure. will be more familiar sure. with. But, you know, someone who who doesn't follow Notre Dame as closely as a Notre Dame fan, right? So, like me, is kind of an outsider. Who who would catch me off guard? And I'm watching watching them play in, like, week eight. I'm like, Jesus, this guy's good. Yeah. Offensively, for me, that's that's an easy one. It's, it's Tobias Merriweather, who I think is going to be a stud. You know, people have asked me, people like comps, right? Fans like comps. Well, who, who's he like? And the one that the best one I could come up with for Tobias is T Higgins because T wasn't a burner, right? Like T wasn't a four, three guy, like Justin Ross was reported to be, but he just knew how to play. That's what I loved yeah. about T Higgins. Like he just, he knows how to run routes. He knows how to get open. He knows how to make play. He's not the freak that Mike Williams was. He wasn't the explosive athlete that Justin Ross was before the injuries, but he just knew how to play football. Right. Tobias yeah, he reminds still me does. Of- he, he's great yeah. at creating separation. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's just, he's really good in space. for a guy that ran in the four fives. Right. And that's yeah. how that's Tobias reminds me a lot of T Higgins. I don't, I don't love comps, but that's one of the cleanest ones that I can make. And I think he's a guy that caught one pass last year. Now we could argue all day that he should have caught more. should have been used more That's a whole different conversation for a different day. <laughs> but his one catch was a 31 yard touchdown that gave him a lead in the fourth quarter in Stanford. Right. I mean, so, so he, he's a heck of a player from Washington. I don't think a lot of people, he was, a top 150-ish recruit by most people, top 200. He wasn't like a five-star guy like Michael Floyd was coming out of high school or, you know, but uh, he's, I think he's going to be a really good player. He's having a great spring, but even before the spring, he'd have probably been my pick. Defense is a little harder because, you know, I want to talk about Jordan Patelho because I think he could be a really good pass rusher for them this year. I think Riley Mills has a chance to be a breakout guy inside, 
but I'm going to go a different direction. You you all know Benjamin Morrison, right? Freshman All-American, so we need to go there with him. Xavier yeah, so, Watts what you, at safety. What six, or, six or seven in, yeah, interceptions six picks last year. as a freshman, was a first-team yeah. freshman All-American. He's preseason yeah. second-team All-American. I, I, I think most people are going to know who that is. Xavier yeah. Watts is a kid that I want people to pay attention to at safety. If you go back and watch like the last couple games, you hit, this is a kid that is a converted wide receiver. It's like Notre actually Notre Dame starting safeties this year most likely will both be guys to switch positions because they've had a little trouble recruiting safety since Kyle Hamilton got here, but they've had to move some guys. But he's a former wide receiver, was a stud in Nebraska. But who follows Nebraska recruiting other than people in Nebraska? Right? Was a guy that Notre Dame was able to get from the Corn Huskers, and I've loved him as a player, but he just keeps getting moved around. And he was a receiver, and then they cross-trained him at defensive back, and then last year they cross-trained him again, a receiver, because they there was a point, guys, they had four scholars, healthy scholarship receivers last year. It was just ridiculous. And so he's playing both, but kind of late in the year, you're watching him play, and you're like, man, this kid's this kid's athletic. He's making plays. He made a lot of plays in the bowl. He made a great play. If you remember the bowl game right before the fake I don't know if it was a fake field goal or punt. I still don't know what the heck they were trying to fake. But the touchdown that South Carolina scored on the play right before that, he made a great play up to see him to knock a pass down uh, to force the fake attempt. Uh, that Not even attempt. It ended up working. But he's a really athletic kid that's finally comfortable at safety. And I think he's just kind of got that swagger that you want in a big-time player. But he's athletic, dynamic. He's just a, you know, it's, it's that cliche. He's just a football player. I think he's a guy that a lot of people that watch Notre Dame this year that maybe aren't Notre Dame fans are going to be like, wow, who's this kid? Who's number zero? I don't know who this kid was, but boy, this kid's a really good football player. Hmm. All right. So I'm keeping track of all, all, all these guests we're having on. I'm actually keeping track of everyone's answers. And at the end of the year, I'm going to decide who gave the best one. I'm going to determine the, whether or not you bring me back on again. <laughs> well, I mean, not close. even that. It's, it'll be, it'll be completely subjective. Uh, <laughs> I'll be the lone voter, but, okay. and I didn't tell anyone this cause I just actually decided it the other day. I was like, Oh man, we've got, you know, someone from this team, someone from this team, and we're going to end up with something like eight or nine guests um, this off season. And I'm asking everyone that question, right? The, so I'm like, I'm going to keep track and see who, though? who makes I mean, that's the, what I love the best about college football though, guys. That's what I love about this game because every year there's some kid that nobody's ever heard of for these teams that you're like, where the heck did that guy come from? Mm-hmm. You know, and and that guy's integral to to their success. Like, I, I mean, outside of Jordan, did anybody know who Lad McConkey was three years ago? I never heard of the kid. No. You no, know, it, I didn't just, know who he was until well, this year. I mean, I did because I live in Georgia <laughs> yeah. and I follow Georgia high school football <laughs> fairly closely, but I'm but that, I'm an I outlier. Just, I love that about this game. I really do. You know, and and you know, we could talk about Bama's first title team. We're gonna talk about Mark Ingram and Mark Barron, and it's like, yeah, but you remember those edge players that nobody knew about that were just grinders? Like I love kids like that. I love that about the game. And and every year you see that from the teams that are good, where like this guy that just never played or never did anything just comes out of nowhere and you're like well who the heck is that guy it's one of my favorite things about college football it really is i'm sorry for that tangent but it just i love the question because that's the fun part about it is who is going to be that guy this year and it's it's like i said it's one of my favorite parts of of this whole process yeah well that's uh i'll forgive the tangent because that's an excellent segue to a part of college football that i personally do not like and i don't like asking about this necessarily but i do find it interesting in notre dame's case because nationally they there's kind of a perception that they're somewhat resistant to kind of fully entering the nil space and landscape and i just would like to get your thoughts do you do you think that's true or untrue is is, is that perception or reality because i know jack swarbrick has made some comments in interviews that might lead a reasonable person to think that hey he has a certain viewpoint and that is not favorable to to and notre dame trying to compete nil wise with some of these other teams but 
and no pressure because you know our our lone uh listener that emails us about notre dame football you know he may be listening to this and he may just like go on and slam you on twitter or something i don't I know don't, I jo- join the club yeah he, i stopped caring about yeah, <laughs> I stopped caring what people say on Twitter a long time ago. This is the exact question he asked us in the mailbag. Here, here's my here's my take on it. Is number one is I believe that Notre Dame should always be true to itself. You can't claim to be to care about certain values and then you're going to sacrifice those values if it means winning football games and making more money, right? Like at some point in time, you got to say, hey, we don't believe in this. And then use your your sort of your bully pulpit, which Notre Dame has, whether people want to admit that or not. When Notre Dame speaks people listen right when the when the AD or the president of Notre Dame takes a stance on something it matters I mean go look at Jack Swarbrick's involvement in stopping the super conferences back when Texas was trying to go to the Pac-12 and and so I think what what Jack Swarbrick has has always talked about favorably and still will do so now is he's a supporter of NIL for college athletes what his thing is is there needs to be some sort of protection for them and and we're seeing this now where Jaden Rashada gets promised one thing so he leaves the Miami commitment and lo and behold it gets pulled out from under, underneath him I've talked to you know I have a, a friend of mine who um through I mean through he's a Notre Dame fan but he works in a, in an SEC school and he said you know there's kids that are you know injured in during basketball season that weren't really injured they just were promised payments and they weren't getting the payments and what's the recourse that these kids have when they're lied to other than well fine I just won't play you know so you, you hear all these type of horror stories and and this is not good for the game Right. It's not good for the game to be having this no holds barred, just wild, wild west type of thing with NIL where you can lie to a kid, say whatever you want to him to get him to sign on the dotted line. And then after the fact, you're like, oh, by the way, that's not how it's going to be. There's people that want protections for that. They want it to be what NIL is supposed to be about, which is it's the student athletes that are in school. It's not meant to be an enticement to get Jordan Addison to leave you know, Pitt, he's visiting Los Angeles, he's visiting USC or he's out in LA before he's even in the portal. But we're supposed to believe there was no tampering whatsoever to, to that. It shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be where you offer a quarterback who's never played a down of football and didn't even have a great senior season, but he's a big name offering him, you know, seven, eight figures. It's not meant to be that it's meant to be something that's, 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 for the players and I and he's a supporter of it for the players his thing is there just needs to be now I don't agree with every part of his take I agree with the overall picture is it's kind of like a collective bargaining agreement why doesn't the NBA want younger players coming into the league why is though people I've heard people say well the NCAA's this stupid one and done room like that's not the NCAA's rule that's the NBA's rule. Why? Because the veteran players don't want these younger kids coming in earlier and taking jobs and taking a veteran's job. So we talk about how, well, we're, we're pro player. No, you're not. If you're someone who is full, full, full supporter of open transfer portal, you're not pro player. You may be pro that player, but what about the kids he's leaving behind or the kids who lost their job because they went out and bought this other kid from another school? It's not pro player. It's same thing with enticements. It's like the pressure that's getting put on these kids who have never played it down to football to now live up to this $13 million thing is not going to be good for most young people. And, and so I think there's, there's a goal to say, we got to rein that in and start making sure all this money goes towards the kids who are part of these programs. I think that's what Notre Dame is going to do. And Notre Dame is not going to get in the process of buying players. But I also believe that there's enough kids out there, as we just saw, Notre Dame signed an outstanding recruiting class. 
And some of the numbers that we heard from our sources, not connected to these kids and some other programs about the money these Notre Dame kids turned down to come to Notre Dame, shows you that there's still a lot of people that understand the value be, be beyond just the the upfront payment. Hey, I may get more now, but I'm in, I'm betting on myself that if I go to Notre Dame, I'm going to be able to do this, 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 and this. And I think that's where Notre Dame is. And I think they're just waiting on this whole process to implode. And once it implodes, then you know, hopefully some grown-ups will finally step up and say, this is something that's good in theory, but the way it's being implemented now is garbage and it has to change. I think that's what Notre Dame is fighting for right now. We'll see if it's a winning battle or not, but uh, that that's where they're at. They're not anti-NIL, and there's a lot more Notre Dame needs to be doing to be pro-NIL with their current players, but there's kids in Notre Dame are making a lot more money than people think. Notre Dame just doesn't broadcast it because it's not their right to do so. If Michael Mayer doesn't want to tell you all how much money he made last year, that's his right to do so. And it's not Notre Dame's right to say, well, no, no, we're going to tell people what you made even though you don't want that because it's going to be good for us. And so I, I wish there was more that they would do. And I'm they're far from perfect in the NIL universe, but I actually support the notion of not paying high school players to come to your school. I, I don't I don't like that. I don't think it's good for the game. I don't think it's good for locker rooms. I don't think it's good for these young people. Uh, we, we've got a one of my guys that works for I'm sorry for the tangent, guys, but a guy that works for me does NFL draft stuff. He knows a lot of agents. NFL agents get, I believe, anywhere from like three to five percent. There's these kids that are signing these agents uh for NIL, they're getting twenty percent because they don't know any better. Because there's no there's no process like the NFL. You have to go through a process to be vetted, to be an agent, to work with NFL teams. And so there's sort of a standard where there's protections where some crazy person off the street can't take advantage of an NFL prospect or an NFL player because that guy has to go through the NFL PA. We saw that with the Lamar Jackson thing. Right. Well, there's no such protections for these kids in college football. And so there's there's a desire to say, let's let's get a process in place that, you know, kind of helps the schools be more involved with this. But also, it's more protects the players, and and I think there there's a reason for that. Now, if they start throwing like caps and all this, then I'm no, I'm off board. No, this isn't a salary cap. These aren't you paying these kids. If a kid, if a if a company wants to pay the starting quarterback at Alabama eight million dollars, and by God, God bless the USA, right? Um, but it shouldn't be. I'm going to pay some high school quarterback who's never done anything. Eight million dollars. That that's my that's my whole point. To come here instead of to going some, to my conference rival. Exactly. Yeah. That's where the protections need to be in place. Where these kids are, you know. But then if that eight million dollars and he's getting twenty percent taken out by some agent, where if there was a better process involved, he's only getting eight five percent taken out. And schools can help these kids to make sure that they're tax compliant and all these other. I mean, we're if they don't do something, there's going to be a day where some kid gets a lien put on him or gets arrested because he has no clue that he's supposed to be getting this money or some kid's going to come out and say, Hey, I was supposed to get all this money, but this, this guy took it all. Right. Is that really what we want? Do we need to wait for that to happen before we step up and say, this isn't right. Well, that's exactly what will happen before someone fixes it. And that's yeah. the sad part. Who's going to be the sacrificial lamb before somebody steps up and, and shows some cojones and some leadership and says, no, we, we are going to be pro player, but this is what pro player stands for. The only other question that I had that sort of tacked onto this issue is that we know, it's a very uncomfortable conversation, but I feel like it's necessary for us to mention it to any teams that I feel it's relevant towards and that's conference expansion. And Notre Dame is always right in the middle of conference expansion because we know the Big Ten is rolling out the red carpet for them 24-7. They want them. They want them so bad they can taste them. And I, I mean, to this point, Notre Dame has done a good job of telling them to go do whatever colorful uh, – <laughs> You know, whatever it is they do at night. Yeah, whatever that, whatever it is they do, whatever colorful expression you want to come up with. But um, 
as we see the SEC growing and as we see NIL more than likely developing in three to five years into conferences paying these players and not NIL collectives. They'll be employees within three to five years. At least that's what I got out of the congressional hearing that was on Wednesday, which was kind of a joke. But so where do you think Notre Dame stands in that realm of do they a long point of view look of, hey, we don't want to get left behind and left out if there is some sort of new super league that gets formed? I think if you're Notre Dame, there's no reason to do anything until that happens. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is, is it, it, let's be honest about some guys. Go look at what the ACC's TV revenue was during the COVID year compared to everybody else. Or the yeah. ACC had one of their best financial years ever. Why? What was different? Yeah. Because of Notre Dame. I mean, outsiders love to, oh, Notre Dame sucks and overrated. Okay, maybe that's true. And some years it is. But it's you can't deny it. Exactly. <laughs> And cow. so that's like, you know, so so the Big Ten can, you know, people say, well, the Big Ten needs to put their foot down. I'm like, why? Because if they do that, what's that Notre Dame going to do? Fine. Hey, SEC, you mm-hmm. guys want us? Because we got to go somewhere. So, if, you know, Big Ten tried to strong arm us. I don't ever want Notre Dame to join the Big Ten ever. And we did a five part p- feature on this a couple years ago on my site where Notre Dame tried to join the Big Ten twice. And Michigan both times rejected it. And a lot of it had to do with anti-Catholicism, right? Which I'm not Mm -hmm. Catholic, but that's just the reality of it. And so my whole thing is you then wanted Notre Dame later once because you forced them to become a national program. Newt Rocking was like, fine, you don't want us? Then we're going to become, you know, we're going to travel to California. We're going to travel, play in Yankee Stadium against Army, which at the time, remember, Army was winning championships back in the 40s. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you're going to play them in, in, you know, Yankee Stadium. That's a big deal. Then Notre Dame becomes his national brand. Now you're like, well, now we want a piece. Well, you know, we could have been with you there before. I, I don't want it for that reason. The other reason is once you join a conference when you're Notre Dame, you then become a regional program. And they're never going to be Ohio State in the Big Ten. And that's what's happened to Penn State. You know, Penn State's just another regional program now. And they're never going to be Michigan and they're never going to be Penn State in that conference. Back when Penn State was winning championships, what were they? They were an independent, you know, and and Notre Dame is in a situation where they can demand 50, 60, 70 million dollars on a TV deal. And if other teams could like you guys, if if Alabama could get more money, uh, make more money as an institution off of being an independent, you don't think that they would? Texas tried that. It didn't work. Right. But Notre Dame is a unique entity in that regard and that they can be that type of program. And what a lot of people don't understand, too, is they just look at the TV revenue. Notre Dame benefits in many other financial ways from being an independent to go beyond what their TV revenue is. And that's what people don't understand uh, is they say, well, no, Notre Dame only made this amount of dollars on TV. Well, that hurts them because the Big Ten's making this. But what you don't understand is there's a lot of other ways that Notre Dame makes money by being a team that plays all across the country. The only thing that's going to force Notre Dame into a conference, guys, is if just the, the TV deal isn't there anymore or it gets to a point where there's this new college football regime and you have to be in one of the two conferences to play and it's for a championship. Those are the only two things that are going to force their name into conference. The TV deal is not going to happen because you, you we all know that they're going to get a big TV deal oh, that yeah. comes up in the next two years. The other thing people aren't talking enough about is Notre Dame's Under Armour deal expires after the season as well. So there's now going to be a bidding war for Notre Dame. Nike's already trying to get them. Air Jordan, Champion. I mean, they're all trying to get Notre Dame now. In, in the so they're they're about to get a huge influx of cash in these next two years with these two new deals. So if you're Notre Dame, what's the rush? Because we heard this. Well, Notre Dame's going to be left out in the cold during, because of the COVID stuff. ACC begged Notre Dame to come join the conference. 
And they're <laughs> yeah. like, well, the ACC should put their foot down and make a full time. Why? That, this is why you're not a business owner and why these people are. <laughs> Because you don't understand economics. You're going to put your foot down. Because if you put your foot down on Notre Dame, guess what you've done? You've now eliminated any chance you have of making Notre Dame want to maybe eventually join you down the road. And Notre Dame joined, and it worked out for both of them. Notre Dame made money, and the ACC made money. And everybody knows that. Everybody that's a business person knows that you don't strong-arm Notre Dame because they're just going to give you the middle finger and go somewhere else because <laughs> they don't need you. And and I think that's kind of – that's. I mean, you may not like it, but that's the reality, and that's why everyone does kind of suck up to Notre Dame. And and Jim Delaney didn't, and that's why Notre Dame stopped playing Big Ten teams. Like, we don't need you. We don't need Purdue. We don't need Michigan State. We don't need Michigan because we can play we, Bama, we can play Florida, we can play in anybody. Yeah, and, we love uh, that on this show. We love it when people get told F off. We love yeah. it. Well, that's why a lot of people hate Notre Dame because Notre Dame is doing that for. Here's the last thing is what bothers me. So does Notre Dame think they're too good? And I'm like, what y'all don't understand, especially younger people, Notre Dame never changed. When Notre Dame won a national championship in 1988, there was like 30 some independent teams. The number one, two, four, one, two, three, and five teams in the country that year were independents. Notre Dame was one, Miami was two, Florida State was three, and and, and, um, West Virginia was five. The only one that wasn't an independent was Michigan, right? I mean, so Notre Dame said, hey, this is what's working for us. We got the TV deal. Notre Dame kind of started this whole process with their own TV deal, mm-hmm. but we never changed. Why, why Why should we have to change now? Because you all decided to change. Like we were just yeah. fine with an independent. You all decided to leave and go join these other conferences. And I think a lot of people think that Notre Dame just is wants to be on their own and do. No, they were part of a 30 some team independent thing. For a long time. And, and it's everybody else that changed for TV deals. Notre Dame said, well, we don't need a conference for a TV deal. If Arkansas could have got their own TV deal, they wouldn't have left the Southwest Conference for the SEC. They'd have got their own TV deal if they could, True. if they could get one like that. So Texas tried that, just didn't get the money, right? So they tried to join a league. And that's the reality of it is Notre Dame's in a position where they, they can do that. And people don't like that. And I understand, but they're not going to change that until they have no choice. If they can't compete for a championship, without being in conference, that's when they'll join a conference. And right now that's not close to happening in my opinion. Mm, I love that. They got all the leverage. Well, Eric, do you got anything else for Brian before we let him get out of here? We've kept him long enough. I think. Nope. We went past what I thought we were going to. So, uh, <laughs> but it, you know, a, a solid hour of uh, what I thought was a pretty informative discussion, at least from my end. So well, I talked yeah. a little bit about it. Well, I apologize. No, <laughs> I get man, be, hey, I'm the king of making our, long, short stories long. That's uh, no, that's, man, that's that makes idea. our job easy. You, makes you our right job in. easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brian, we very much appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk Notre Dame football with us. And uh, we'll let you get back to it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. Good luck this season. Thanks right. for having me all, guys. Yeah, thanks, Brian. All right, man. Well, God, oh, that's a ton of info, man. I can't believe he stayed that long. I'm surprised that anybody would want to hang out with us that long outside of maybe us. Like Timmy, you know, he doesn't want to hang out with us anymore. Not yeah, just F kidding. those guys. <laughs> but uh, all right. So knowing all that, what you know now, I'm I'm being honest. Like I looked at Notre Dame's roster pretty in depth before the show, and I was like, man, like I'm really optimistic. I think like they could be really fucking good this year. They have a lot of guys coming back who I think are juniors. Like so it's a yeah. it's a mix of still a young team but a lot of experience. And you know, we talked about it at the end of the season. There was a point, you know, you get to like week eleven, week twelve, you're kind of thinking, boy, I don't know that anyone really wants to play these guys. They had ripped no. off like seven straight. So I think they have a chance to be very, very good. The schedule, as we said, does them no favors. But tell you what, if they can go eleven and one on that schedule, they are there there's zero chance they get left out of the playoffs. 
No, yeah. And I mean, well, there's only really one more year of them getting left out of the playoff and they'll be in it perpetually every year after right. that. So, I mean, it's if they miss it this year, fear not, Notre Dame fans. You'll be in it in 2024. Don't worry. Because no chance that a 12-team playoff is going to miss out on Notre Dame being in it. All right. Well, Eric, what do we got on the docket for next or for next week? Sure. Uh, next episode, we are talking to Preston Guy from TigerBait.com, and we are going to be getting filled in on the 2023 LSU Tigers. And we may, drum roll please, have a special appearance by someone else in addition to Preston. Uh-oh. Could it be Hunter Bifflew back from that the That is Hunter Ballou's music. <laughs> back from the soccer fifa video game world man can't wait for that love that guy to be back on so hopefully he doesn't hit the eject button at the last minute and say i forgot but <laughs> either way all right well i think that's gonna wrap us up for tonight we appreciate all our listeners we are now on youtube you guys can find us at youtube.com slash south end zone pod and uh the same handle there for twitter instagram tiktok south end zone pod for all of that Again, we are going to be joining the Belly Up Sports Network within a few days. So uh, we'll be back to doing ads and all the stuff that you guys just love right in the middle of the show. So uh, until then, we will catch you guys next week. Talk to you later. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.